0: Okie dokie, everybody find a seat. Finished hugging necks, telling everybody about the wonderful gifts they bought at the craft fair yesterday. Everybody enjoy the craft fair that went yesterday. Get some good, good Christmas gifts. Well, before we go into the word today, we've got a couple of things that I would like to talk about. We've got a couple big days coming up this week. The first is Tuesday, November 8th. We have the election. I want to encourage everyone to get out and vote. One of the best Christmas presents that I got from my parents was a subscription to Decision Magazine. They're in this service. Hint, hint. You can renew it for me. Um, This last month was all about the midterm election. Uh... Joel Rosenberg actually has a great Q&A article in here. He came and spoke at Church of the Savior. But there's a pastor by the name of Robert Jeffress who, when I read this article, I went, we need to hear that. This is what he says. He's a, he's a pastor of a, a church in Dallas, Texas. He says, we, ha- we as Christians have work to do. Christ has called us to engage in public life as his salt and light. As salt in the world, Jesus is commanding us to influence our culture rather than isolate ourselves from it. Salt is a preservative. It may not prevent decay, but it can delay it. God has given Christians in democratic countries a unique way to salt our world. ...that Christians in other times and places did not have. We have been granted the freedom to choose our leaders by voting. Leaders will shape the values of the nation. So Christians should work to select leaders who will govern according to God's principles. We can look for leaders who publicly acknowledge God and who seek to advance the cause of righteousness... He goes on to say, I know what you're thinking. Delaying an inevitable decay? That's not a very inspiring bumper sticker, Pastor. Part of the reason we feel this way is because we have overestimated what politics can achieve. Yes, we need to engage our culture and push back against unrighteousness. Politics are important because they can help us Continue fulfilling our true goals. But political change is not the ultimate goal. The Christian's highest calling is to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Earthly governments can hinder or facilitate this. But we're not called to save America. We're called to proclaim the gospel. What our country needs most is a genuine revival wrought by the Spirit of God. Amen? Get out and vote. I encourage you to do that. And number two. This Friday is Veterans Day. So if you are a veteran, active or inactive, would you please stand so we can recognize you? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your service. Stay standing, stay standing, stand up, stand up, stay standing. Reach your hand out to one you're close to. Father, we pray for these that gave of their life to the service of this country. And Lord, we thank you for those fallen as well. And we remember them. Lord, bless them. Bless their families today, I pray. And bless this country in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome everybody online. My clicker didn't work first service. It was out of battery. I should have power now. When I don't have this working, all the power is like sucked out of me. It's written... Oh, actually, let me start with this. So Pastor Steve came up to me a month and a half ago or so. Uh, We were praying with pastors, say that five times fast, on a Tuesday morning. And he said, Ryan, have you ever taught on finances or tithe or giving? I said, no, Steve, I've not. And he said, well, would you like to? And I said, Steve, is that an honest question, or am I going to have to? He said, well, you're going to have to. Because November 6th, I am out of town. He had a high school reunion this weekend, and he is preaching this morning in his home church. So our prayers go out to Pastor Steve. So you get me this morning. Now it was written that the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 35, In every way I have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Bless you. All through the Bible, we see the biblical truth that it is better to give than to receive. Luke six thirty eight, Give... And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Hebrews 13, 16. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share or to give. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. We read this last week. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9, we talked about sowing last week that every we're always sowing. We're sowing of our finances. We're sowing when we pray. We're sowing when we give to the body and give into ministry. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who show, who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly ...or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace... ...and remember that word grace... ...because that's really what we're talking about today. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you... ...so that in every way, always having everything you need... ...you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor... His righteousness endures forever. That's a reference to Psalm 112.9. So I want us to consider this morning that the only kind of giving that is truly acceptable to God is expressed in one simple, complex, and beautiful word, and that word is grace. So we're not talking about giving out of law or giving out of commandment. But we're talking about giving out of the grace of God that is within our hearts. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and we'll go over this today. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So what is grace? But you know a lot of people will say well grace is the unmerited favor of God toward man. I don't necessarily agree with that definition because I think that's more of a definition of mercy. I don't deserve favor but I'm given favor. I deserve judgment. I deserve death but I'm given life. I deserve to be locked up For a life sentence. But out of mercy. I am pardoned. I believe first and foremost. That grace is a gift. Without grace. We can't receive the gift. Of eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift. Of God. I believe that grace is. Help to do what we cannot do on our own. 1 Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 2 Corinthians 12:19: But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace is a power that shows up in our lives, and a desire to do the will of God. Acts four thirty three, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And most of us know Hebrews 4:16. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may yes receive mercy but also find the grace to help in our time of need. Now, everyone in their bulletin should be given one of these yellow cards. We have a governing body, a group of elders that use these yellow cards to help us set the budget for next year. You'll never be contacted about this if you do not consider COS your home church. Do not feel obligated to fill out this yellow card. Now, there's a few things I want to bring to your attention. Box number one on the top. I will give a tithe. We learned last week that tithe is the first 10% of our income. So every, every two weeks on Friday, I write my tithe check, the first 10% of my income. And I will give it weekly, monthly, or yearly. Number two, the box, the second box is, I'm, I'm not really quite that, there yet, but I know I want to start giving. So this is what I think I can give now, a one-time gift. Either weekly, monthly, yearly. And this is where I want to start. This is where I want to start. And then the third box is I will give by faith. We call this a faith promise here at Church of the Savior. We learned last week that the tithe is the first 10%. And then the offering, anything above the tithe, starts at 11%. Now most of the time we're saying, Lord, this isn't in my hand But I'm praying, I'm believing in faith that you are going to provide. So my offering, my faith giving, is I do my ten percent to tithe, and then I personally I give to mission that goes above and beyond. And I've said, Lord, this is above and beyond. But I'm having faith that you're going to provide this extra money. And then the boxes on the bottom. Would you please look at those? What's God calling you to? Is it? Full-time ministries, to go on a missions trip overseas, locally, please fill that out. And then next Sunday, we're going to turn those in, in that basket right down there. Looks like some people have even done it today. Now, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, most of the time, when you hear a Sermon given on finances out of 2 Corinthians, it's usually chapter 9. We read from chapter 9. It talks about, you know, sowing and reaping and giving with a cheerful heart, giving out of your heart. But I want to urge you to read 8 and 9 together. You got to know 8 before you know 9. There's really no break. There's just a chapter break, but those, those were put in later. There was no break. So if I were doing two sermons, I would call chapter 8, The Grace of Giving, part 1, and chapter 9, The Grace of Giving, part 2. So go home and read chapter 9. But before we dive in, we need to know a little bit of history, a little bit of context. So Corinth was located in the south of Greece. You see where Corinth is on the map? It's about 45 miles away from Athens, and for centuries, foot traffic north and south would pass right through Corinth. And sea travel at this time was very time-consuming and very dangerous. So if someone was down in Sparta wanting to get all the way over to Athens, they wouldn't go south and do sea travel. Many captains would put their ships onto rollers, and they would portage their ships north, go through Corinth. Eventually, there was actually a big canal built there. So this was a huge trade city big trade city. It was also a very pagan city. At the time, it was host to the second most popular athletic games, the first being the Olympic Games. I actually found out in my research that actually the name Corinth became synonymous with idolatry, uh, immorality, and drunken debauchery. So if you became Corinthianized, you were deemed immoral. I hope there's no one here today that has been Corinthianized. Unfortunately, I think America is probably Corinthianized and we need to repent and ask for forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the immense sexual immorality that's going on. And there was actually... A temple and Acropolis, which means city on a hill, a temple to Aphrodite. There's some of the ruins and a picture of what the temple probably looked like. It's said that a hundred thousand priestesses lived there. They were prostitutes. And they would actually go down into the city at night and offer up their services to the citizens and the foreign visitors. Very pagan. Now, Paul founded the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. And he actually started preaching in the synagogue. He was assisted by Priscilla and Aquila. He actually lived with them for a time. Uh, Silas and Timothy soon joined him. Now, most of the Jews, they resisted the gospel. But before Paul stopped preaching in the synagogue... The actual leader of the synagogue and his family and many other Corinthians came to faith in Christ Jesus. Paul would minister in Corinth for about a year and a half. Now, after Paul left, the church began to develop factions. You'd have one group that was loyal to Apollos. You'd have one group that was loyal to Paul. You had one group that was loyal to Peter. But the serious problem of the church in Corinth was they they had... The inability, they couldn't divorce, they couldn't separate themselves from the pagan culture that surrounded them. So thus we have Paul writing 1 Corinthians to address these issues. Now 2 Corinthians, the book that we're in today, Paul, they think he probably wrote it while he was in Philippi. Now during his absence, some false apostles also started to come onto the scene. Paul was in Ephesus, leaves to go to Corinth to try and deal with this issue, but he labels this the painful visit. It did not go well for him. He was actually openly insulted by someone in the church, probably a a false apostle, we don't know. So Paul leaves, he sends Titus, and somewhere in there, Paul and Titus meet up somewhere, and Titus actually tells him, hey, Most of the Corinthians have repented of their rebellion. Well, Paul's a very smart man. He writes 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, we see he's joyful that they have repented, but he defends his apostleship, He confronts these false apostles head on, and we also see that he urges the Corinthians to resume preparations for the collection of the poor in Jerusalem, and that is what we are going to talk about today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Thank you. Now I'm going to read this whole chapter. We're going to get through the whole thing. So you need to follow along and keep your Bible with you because I'm not going to go back and do much referencing. It's going to be on the screen. Okay, verse 1, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. I would underline this next part. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning... To bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. We read this already. But just as you excel in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness. And in your love for us. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I would underline that. That's important. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. For at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn one day their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. For as it is written, this is a reference to Exodus 16, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Now in verse 16 there's a shift. Paul shifts from spiritual principles to practical counsel. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother. Now we never know who this brother is, but listen to what it says about him. This brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition... We are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, release the gift of grace today, not only upon your people, but also upon your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we know from the reading that the church in Corinth had agreed to be a part of a collection, a relief offering to the poor and suffering Jerusalem, or Christians in Jerusalem. There's actually instructions for this in 1 Corinthians. Now, unfortunately, the Corinthians, they were not doing their part. They've, they made a promise, and they were not keeping it. Anybody ever been there and made a promise, not kept it? Well, I sure have. So I asked myself the question, well, what's the reason for the delay? And I said earlier that the main problem with the church in Corinth was they had a hard time separating themselves from the pagan culture. So I think the church was probably operating on a low spiritual level, at least in this area. Because when the church is operating at a low level, many times they don't give generously. So what does Paul do? Well, he raises the bar. He raises his appeal to a higher spiritual level. And he teaches them that giving is an act of grace. It may very well be the highest level. We said it earlier. We can't be saved without grace. Grace and faith, right there. Giving is a ministry that helps others and helps the body, but the motivation for the giving must be out of the grace of God in one's heart. When we as Christians and as a church body give out of grace, we will realize, like Paul said in Acts, that it is better to give than to receive. Now, I find this very interesting. Paul used nine different words to refer to the collection, but he used the word grace seven times. And we've learned that numbers are important in the Bible. Seven is the number of completion, of perfection. So maybe I'm reading into this a little bit. That makes me think, well, if I'm giving out of grace, I'm giving perfectly to the Lord. So how do we know if we're giving out of grace? Well, Paul gives us five evidences, five qualities that you will know if you're giving out of grace in your heart. And the first one is we give in spite of circumstances. This is verses 1 and 2. Now listen, folks. We all have circumstances. We all have times when we need help with something. Maybe we have a bad doctor's report. There are so many whose homes have been devastated by natural disaster. Maybe we're in a bad relationship. We all have circumstances in life, but Paul uses the church in Macedonia as an example. He says the church in Macedonia has experienced great difficulties, but yet they still give and have get, they gave generously. In verse 2, it says, severe trial brought about by affliction. This is a picture of severe poverty. This is rock bottom that they're at, and and probably most likely because of their faith. Because when they said, I have faith in Jesus Christ, the guilds that they worked in said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't come in. And they said, we don't want to have anything to do with the pagan idolatry. They couldn't make any money. They couldn't get jobs. But they didn't let their circumstances stop them from giving. In fact, it says they gave joyfully and beyond their ability. Now, here's a, here's a formula for you, for all you math people out there. I'm not a math person. Now, this formula in the natural makes absolutely no sense. It is only by grace that this formula makes sense. You ready for it? Here it is. Great affliction and poverty plus grace equals abundant joy and abounding liberality. And liberality is the quality of giving freely. That makes no sense. You're telling me I'm in great affliction. I'm in great poverty because of severe trial in my life. And yet I can have joy and want to give abundantly by the grace of God. Yes, you can. And that's what Paul says. You know, a little confession here. It wasn't till at this time last year, <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave me a whooping. Because I was only tithing on my net. I was not tithing on my gross. And I'd heard the sermon that Steve gave last week, two years prior. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and he said, you are robbing God. Because what I was doing is I was using my circumstances as an excuse not to give. Well, Lord, now I'm married. I'm not living at home. i got to provide for Sarah. I'm paying this. I'm paying that. If I can't operate on 100%, how am I going to operate on 90%? And I use my circumstances as an excuse. When we give out of grace we won't use our circumstances that we're facing as an excuse not to give. Number 2. We give enthusiastically. This is verses 3 through 4. We give joyfully. Now, it is possible to give generously and not enthusiastically. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You know, I heard a story about a miserly old churchgoer was talking to his buddy about the church service that he attended on Sunday. And he said, yeah, that preacher was talking about giving. Giving my money. And that preacher told me I was supposed to give until it hurts. He said to his buddy, well, I went up to that preacher and I said, preacher, you're telling me to give until it hurts? Well, I'm telling you it just hurts me to think about giving. You know anybody like that? Has that ever been you? The church in Corinth needed to be prompted needed to be reminded to bring to completion this act of grace. It says in verse 4 that the church in Macedonia pleaded, begged to be included. Their giving was enthusiastic, it was spontaneous, it was voluntary, it was prompted by grace. They gave because they wanted to give. Now, I love this. Grace not only frees us from our sins, but it frees us from ourselves, the grace of God not only opens our hearts, but it should also open our hands. You know, I was talking to a brother on a, uh, an EE e. visit, and he said, Ryan, he said, I did not used to be a cheerful giver. I did not give enthusiastically. I did not give joyfully. And he said, the Lord had to change me. So if your giving is cold and calculated, if it comes out of a... Ugh, I got to do that kind of attitude, ask the Lord to change your heart. And I believe he'll do it. I believe he will. Now, probably the most important point. We give out of grace because Jesus gave to us. This is verses 5 through 9. Verse 5, it says, I said, underline this, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. It's not your money that you give first to the Lord, it's not your time, it's not your efforts, it's yourself. That's where it all starts. It all starts at salvation. If you've never given yourself completely 100% to the Lord, trusting Him as your personal Lord and sin bearer, do it today. Because that's where it starts. Jesus is our example. He's our example in service, He's our example in suffering, He's our example in sacrifice. Like Jesus, the church in Macedonia gave of themselves for others. Christ came into the world not to be served, but to serve. God gave his only son as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Don't give of your finances to God if you haven't given yourself to him first. Because you know what? When we give ourselves to God, we should not have a problem giving our substance to God. And our finances is part of that. It's all God's anyway. We're just stewards of it. Christ gave himself to us. Shouldn't we give ourselves and our substance to him? Now, this is important. One of the other attributes of the Corinthian church that we really didn't go into is they were really wrapped up in the spiritual gifts. They were so wrapped up in the gifts of the Spirit that they neglected the graces of the Spirit, including the grace of giving. The Macedonian churches had an abundance of poverty, but they gave abundantly. The Corinthians had an abundance of spiritual gifts, yet they couldn't keep their promise in the collection. And I know some of you may not agree with me in this, and that is okay, but I want you to search the Scriptures I don't think that we should ever argue that the ministry of our spiritual gifts is a substitute for generous grace giving. Well, I give of my time. I give of my service. In my opinion, that is, that's an excuse. It's not an explanation. The gifts, the spiritual gifts are given for the edification, the building up, and the equipping of the saints in the body. When we as believers realize that that the gifts are just that they're gifts, we'll be motivated to give and not hide behind the work of the ministry. I've had pastors say to me, "I give my entire life to the ministry, I don't have to give of my finances." I do not believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's just me. You wrestle with it on your own. Now, Paul was very careful here. He was not ordering the church to give. He says, I'm not commanding you. What he was doing, Paul's a smart dude. I'm going to really enjoy talking to him when I get to heaven. He was contrasting the attitudes of the churches. He pointed out that the Macedonians were following the example of the Lord. They were poor, yet they gave. The Corinthians said, we love you, Paul. He says, well, if you love me, prove that love by giving to the offering. When we give out of grace, it shows our love for Christ, our love for others, and our love for the body. Now, Jesus, thank you, Lord, was our perfect sacrifice. He became poor so we could become rich. He left his throne in heaven, took on human form left the glory of heaven to come as a servant. He laid aside all his heavenly possessions and the word says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He had all these riches and more, but he became poor for our sake. And his ultimate experience of poverty was when he made himself sin on the cross for all of us. And folks, like I said, if you've never first given yourself to the Lord, the cross is where it starts. We're going to take communion later on. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Because, folks, there's a real place called hell. And there's a real enemy in Lucifer and Satan. And you will be in eternal poverty if you don't give your life to the Lord and spend an eternity in hell. That's what the Word says. We were morally bankrupt until we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. But now, because of his temporary poverty on the cross, we get to share in the riches of heaven. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He gave of himself. How can we not give of ourselves? Point number four. We give willingly. This is verses 10 through 12. Nobody should have to twist your arm to give. And nobody should twist your arm. If somebody's twisting your arm, putting you in a headlock to give, get away from that person. Now, there is a big difference between promise and performance. The Corinthians had made a promise, but they failed to keep it. So what Paul does in verses 10 through 12 is he emphasizes willingness. Grace must come from a willing heart. Grace giving comes out of a willing heart. It can't be forced or coerced. And here's the real important thing. God sees if the willing is sincere and it's in the will of God, there will be a performance. Willing is not a substitute for the doing. If our giving is motivated by grace, we will give willingly. There will be a performance aspect to it because we want to. But here's the most important thing. God sees the heart gift, not the hand gift. If the heart wanted to give more, but the hand was unable to do so, God sees the heart and records it accordingly. But if the heart gives more, but if the hand gives more, excuse me, then the heart wants to give, God records what's in the heart. No matter how big the offering in the hand might be. Think of Mark chapter 12. We see the story of the widow who gave out of her poverty. Jesus is sitting aside from the temple. And it says that many rich people gave. Now it doesn't say that they gave you know, begrudgingly or, or not willingly. It says many rich people gave. But then a widow came and gave out of her poverty. says that she gave two coins worth half a penny. And Jesus says, I tell you, she's given more because she gave from her poverty. She gave from the heart. I have no doubt that that heart wanted to give so much more, but the hand couldn't. He records what's on the heart. Now, lastly, when we give by faith, starting in verse 13. Paul in verse 13 says, is not suggesting that the rich become poor so the poor can become rich. It would not be wise for you to go into debt from your giving and then you not be able to provide from your for your family. That wouldn't be wise. Unless the Lord tells you to, don't go and sell everything. Now if he tells you to, go do it. Cuz he'll let you, he'll he'll provide. Paul sees this, he says this is an issue of equality. Because, you see, the Gentile churches at the time, they had material wealth. The Jews didn't. But he says, you know what? One day, those tables could be turned. And they'll have when you need. God's the one who does the equalizing. And this is so cool. In verse 15, he references the miracle of manna. This is out of Exodus 16. So the miracle of manna, the Israelites would go and they would, they'd collect their manna every single day. They always had what they needed, always had what they needed. But what happened to the manna for those that tried to keep more than what they needed? It went bad. It went moldy. It got smelly. So I believe that the lesson here is gather what you need, share what you can, and don't the blessings. Now listen, folks, we will always have need. I have need every single day. That's why I need the grace of God in my life. We'll always have need. But our need should drive us to trust him. Our need's going to do one of two things. It's either going to drive us to the cross or it's going to drive us away from the cross. Our need should drive us to trust him. Because I believe if we obey God, we trust in him, he will meet our needs, he will meet the needs of others, but we must give in faith and depend on God that he will give us today our daily bread. Now, at verse 16, there's a shift from spiritual principles to practical counsel. The guy on the right, is he does my taxes every single year. So I told you, we have a governing body of elders who take those yellow yellow cards and they, they set the budget for next year. Paul says, look, give in faith, but don't give by chance or unwisely. You need to know where your finances are going and who's handling your finances. Don't give foolishly. So even in local churches, Paul says, there are qualifications For people who handle the money. Paul was very careful how this offering was handled. He says we've got churches that are participating. They're going to travel with us. We're going to make sure that things are handled honestly. Everything is above board. And not just in the sight of God but in the eyes of man. It's not just enough to say oh the Lord sees what we're doing. No men need to see what we're doing. The men and women. In every Christian ministry, local churches, missions organizations, you can give to the preacher on TV if you want to, but you need to know where your finances are going and who handles them. So I believe, he says, there's five qualifications. Worship team, you can come on out. Number one, he says these people need to have a desire to serve, and I can guarantee you every member of our board And every staff member, they fill these qualifications. You need to have someone who wants to be there. You don't want somebody on a committee or a board that goes, ugh, do I really have to do this? And you also, on the other hand, you don't want somebody serving who thinks, well, how how can I get ahead in this? How can I get some personal gain out of this? You don't want that. Number two, verse 18 he says these people need to have a burden for souls. Paul talks about we're this brother. We don't know who the brother is, but it says that he is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. We need to get the gospel out. And this goes hand in hand. The next one, a desire to honor God. There is no such thing as secular and sec- sacred. Business and ministry in the church. The most spiritual thing, one of the most spiritual things a church can do is use its money wisely for spiritual ministry. Because if you have someone who doesn't have a desire to serve, who doesn't have a burden for souls, who doesn't have a desire to honor God, that money might be used to dishonor God. And this is a huge one. A reputation for honesty Paul says we need to be above board. We don't want any blame or criticism in the eyes of man. J.B. Phillips translated 2 Corinthians 8.21 as this. Naturally, we want to, to avoid the slightest breath of criticism in the distribution of their gifts and to be absolutely above board, not only in the sight of God, but in the eyes of man that is so important. And the last one, it's a cooperative spirit. Paul talks about Titus. He says, he is a great teammate. He works with me well. He's a great fellow helper. He's a wonderful partner. You need people that work together well. And I believe that our board and our staff meet every single one of those qualifications. We're going to move into a time of worship and we're going to move into a time of communion. We're going to do communion a little differently this morning. I want you to use your time of personal reflection and remembrance and worship during during the worship time today. This altar will be open. Now, this is not religious tradition the taking of the elements. I believe that this needs to be one of the most intimate times between the believer and the Father. If you're not a member of the church, don't consider this your church home. You don't have to take the elements. But this is a time of personal reflection and it's a time of remembrance. The Word talks about if you're not right with God, hold off on taking this. Don't do it. If there's sin, if there's iniquity in your life, deal with it. If you've never given your life to the Lord, do that first before you take of the elements. Maybe you're here today and you say, Ryan, I've never given my life to the Lord. There'll be people up here to pray with you. I'll pray with you. So it's a time of personal reflection and it's a time of remembrance for what the Lord did for us. He took the bread. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. In Isaiah, it says he was beaten so badly that he barely was recognizable as a human. If that doesn't bring tears to your eyes, I don't know what should. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood in the new covenant. Steve says it all the time, and I agree. The blood's the most precious commodity. That blood that was shed for our sins when he hung on that cross in poverty, away from the Father, in anguish, that blood was shed for you and for me, and it washes our sins as white as snow. Praise you, Lord. Thank you. So as you take communion in this time of worship, we're going to sing a song called Available. Make yourself available to the Lord. Take communion with your family. Take it at the altar if you want to. And ask the Lord, you gave the gift of grace for my salvation. Lord, how can I be available for you now? Release grace today, I pray, in Jesus' name come to the altar and worship
1: narrow as the road may seem I'll follow where your spirit
2: This is my desire to Every moment I'm away Lord, have your way in me Thank
0: you, for your grace. Thank you so much for your grace What a gift Lord again I just I pray that you release a spirit of grace today. Lord give us the help that we need. In the name of Jesus. Bless your church today. I pray. And thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for Jesus that he became poor so that we might become rich. Thank you. Bless your church in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you all. Slip out quietly. Go pick up your children. Go give them heaven. If they don't like it, tell them how to get there anyway. God bless.
1: Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.